welcome to another episode of Over Drinkers, you lucky little listener, you. My name is Mike Burge, the voice forever annoyingly inside your ear on this series, and uh, today I am joined by the illustrious, the amazing, the magical, hey, the gassy, well, yeah, Robert Anderson. Hey, it's good Robert, to see you. so good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Story Screen Presents podcast. You've heard of the podcast before. Yeah, I listened to a few. I really like the Dark Tower episode that you We get do. a lot of yeah. traction on that. It's been labeled uh, a hell of a trip yes, by most listeners. Yes, by, by our number one fan. Uh, I can agree with that. He should have seen the movie because that was also a hell of a trip. I actually kind of want to see the mo- I want to see the Dark Tower. <laughs> now that I'm reading the books, dude, I'm just like I'm over that. Movie. Oh, that's right. You're in the middle of um, I'm almost the second done. one. I'm almost, You're almost done. With- I read 130 pages of it yesterday. God, it feels so good. I'm re I'm rereading uh, Carrie right now. For You're rereading the, uh, it? Oh, for yeah, the, I had already the read it. Now I'm rereading again because I read it way too early and didn't realize two months is a lot for the book club because I read it immediately. Yeah. Um, books, I feel like I forget what's in it a lot quicker than like because I mean because there's no image associated with it, but yeah. I feel like. Like, I, I took a few days of not reading Dark Tower, came back to it, and I was like, oh, I gotta, like, read, like, three pages back, just kind of re-familiarize right. myself with it. I mean, that's the thing with reading. Kind of like, you know, it, like, with me, I, uh, I I totally just made that up. I haven't read Carrie yet. I'm reading it for the first time. I just didn't want to make it seem like I put it off this late. <laughs> At least I'm honest about uh, that. Though. Look at that. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, prestige yeah, yeah. to this trip. Oh, and, and that brings us to mm. this, yes. Uh, so... This is the uh, first episode in like a nice little special edition three-parter we're doing for Over Drinkers, uh, right over on Batarang, another Story Screen Presents podcast. Uh, myself, Robert Anderson, and the rye-witted Jack Kalajewski <laughs> are um, diving into the Batman films. Yes. We uh, pretty much on that podcast, what we do is we watch the Batman films, we kind of eat them up, and we digest them. And then we really think about it a little bit, and then we use our mouths to talk about them. And we've been having a lot of fun right now. We just entered the Christopher Nolan. Which is very exciting. Which is very exciting. So the Batman Begins, and we came up with the idea of uh, doing uh, some Overdrinkers episodes on the three Nolan movies that he did for himself in tandem with the Batman Dark Knight trilogy. There's a a bit of a saga Starting with Batman Begins and ending with Interstellar, where Nolan... And we've talked about this on many shows before, so... It's kind of exciting to get to it. So finally, you gotta do it, because when we did our Memento, uh, our 25th anniversary podcast, that's when we really kind of started talking about this idea of Nolan having a a saga of a trilogy of Batmans and a trilogy of movies for him. And it's exciting to, in tandem with Batarang and, and with Overdrinkers, to kind of do that same kind of structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very excited to dig into this movie. I mean, I'm excited to dig into all three of them, too. Yeah, I mean, all... I, yeah. yeah. But, so, <laughs> You're doing uh, all in this six, episode, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, it's really good because I, you know, I we haven't been doing a lot of overdrinkers lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm super excited about breaking back into them because I've just been very busy getting ready for the horror show. Beacon Horror Show, part hey, three, get on it. Check it out. Um, but yeah, so this episode we are doing The Prestige. We are drinking some lovely... Red wine, uh, Pinot Noir, uh, by the Dreaming Tree. This is the uh, Dave Matthews. Wine. This would have been a better wine for uh, Inception. Dreaming Tree. Are the others are trees in Inception. I don't remember. I haven't seen Inception. In There's dreams in. 
that really go over your head like that? Hell yeah. I thought did. you were doing a bit. No, no. And uh, today we are also joined by, um, a, what is it? It's a Tesla it's ball. It's a Tesla ball. We have a Tesla ball So with if us. you hear some weird feedback can on you, the mic. Wait, be quiet. Can you hear it? This is good radio. It's really cool. For those that don't know, a Tesla ball is like one of those really cool, like a uh, round glass globes that your uncle had back in the like in the mid nineties yeah. in his room. Your that, uncle like, that still listens to Rush, like yeah, a lot. like and a you, lot. <laughs> <laughs> when you like and you touch it, and it's like all the electricity comes to you, and it's yeah, it's it, it's really cool. Yeah, invented by uh, stuff like this just does not stop being cool. Well, the it thing is, like it's, it's like the lava lamp. I wish well, lava I, lamps I want, stop being cool. I want one. <laughs> so no, bad. you don't. You get a lava lamp and then you're like, well, I'm never going to plug that in. I would. Because I don't really have another source of light besides my... I'll get you a lava lamp. When's your birthday? January 26th. I'll get you a lava lamp for Christmas. You want a lava lamp? I'll take a lava lamp. Can you wait till Christmas? Fine. What color do you want? Green, blue. You got it. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. So we are talking about the prestige today. Mm. 2006, Christopher Nolan's... One, two, three, four, fifth film. So he's in grad school at this point. I believe so, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, takes place in between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Yes. 2005, 2008, respectively. This one lands 2006. Sandwiched. Uh, it stars uh, our favorite, Huge Act Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Bale. Teen, Teen Heart Throb. Michael Caine. Uh, who um, else in that? Uh, Piper Parabo. Piper Parabo. Mm-hmm. Uh... Rebecca Hall, Scarlett Johansson, uh, there's a little bit of uh, Andy Serkis in there. Uh, yes. David Bowie makes an appearance. David, David motherfucking Bowie. Bowie. Um, and it also, I, I rewatched it last night to really get a fresh take on yeah, it. Yeah, I just watched it. And I it. wanted to share with you because you just got done doing all the Spider-Man movies. Yes. And did you know that the, uh, the hotel manager in... Um, Colorado? Yeah, Colorado Springs. Yeah, the hotel manager that... Uh, Hugh Jackman's character speaks to is the dude that's Norman Osborn's assistant in the original Spider-Man. Oh shit! Where Willem Dafoe gets like all he's like, uh, uh, come back. Uh. I, I was like... watching. I was like, this guy is in something where something disturbing happens. What is it? And I couldn't think of it. And then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, he's in Spider-Man. He seems somehow younger in this movie. Because when I think of that character, yeah, it's only four years. Really, yeah, I guess you're right. It's like pretty much. The Nolan Batman movie, or like this, like kind of period of Nolan movies, always confuses me because I did just do the Spider Man's, and like Spider Man three came out in two thousand seven, I think. Yeah. And like that movie is not in the same league as like even the, the first. The world was changing. It's just everybody. Crazy. I mean, two thousand seven Spider Man three really was like the final nail in the coffin for superhero films. Yeah. They were like, that's it. And then in two thousand eight. Little did they know, right around the corner, Dark like Knight's the Dark Knight coming. and Iron Man, mm -hmm. both dropped and completely changed what shit was going to be forever. Yeah. Forever. Forever. No, we don't need that. No, I guess we, we don't need that. Um, so, I asked you to be on the Prestige episode, even though we're trying to like mix it up a little bit with the Overdrinkers and get some other voices on here to get some other... Uh, opinions on these like movies that we really like but i got yeah. you on the prestige because you have a love for the prestige you wrote an article for story screen beacon mm -hmm. um and we also we kind of both share this affinity for what prestige is we weirdly like love this movie i think more than most people yeah like and watching this again last night it finally hit me because when i 
first saw The Prestige, just kind of like when I saw all of the Prestige, Inception, and Interstellar, yeah. I would see them in theaters, wouldn't like them, immediately oh. off the bat. I would be like, yeah, I mean, I don't get it. It's not for me. Yeah. I would revisit them about two years later and then go, oh my God, I really like this movie. Right. It happened with Prestige. It happened with Inception to a degree. And then Interstellar I saw two years ago and I didn't like it. And I haven't seen it since, but I'm about to watch it again to do this later I'm one. excited to hear what your take But The Prestige is, without a doubt, one of my favorite movies of all time. Agreed. I will put it on there. If I were to maybe, you know... And I have a lot of those. So we're not talking top five, top ten list material here. We're, we're talking like, yeah. if we get like a top 20 list, I bet you The Prestige would definitely be somewhere in that second tier. Right. The Prestige is my favorite Nolan movie. I think his best movie is either Dark Knight or Dunkirk. Um, best being like... Technically, technically, yeah, like... Uh, I don't know, man. Like, Prestige would give these guys a run for their money because there really is some shit in here where it's like... It took them five five years to write this thing. The script is and so It was based on a good. book where, you know, the book was very um, literary. Oh. It was very... All the ideas that they were talking about in the story were was like... This is like the themes that you would have in, like, a book. Yeah. And uh, even the writer of the book has said like it's really impressive how they were able to kind of translate all this stuff into the medium of film right oh, and, the, and even like apparently the screenplay is amazing which i have not read i haven't read but either, apparently but the screenplay is like whoa you guys just tell from the the lines of dialogue from <clears throat> this film like every like just watching it again today like there are just some monologues or just like singular lines that are just Amazing, like some of the, the best. Dialogue the dialogue is amazing. Beautiful. Yes, I uh, and I think that's where also like a lot of a lot of the portrayals, a lot of the uh, the actors in this, uh, they kind of get lost. And like I will tell, like I know Hugh Jackman's face, I know Christian Bale's face. Yeah, I get lost about twenty five minutes into this movie with their characters and forget that they are those actors. They become these characters it's weird when you see Hugh Jackman shirtless and he's just like this like oh he's so much he's just well he's just the most beautiful he's man ever specimen. but it's weird because that actor would not be that or that not that actor that character would not be that jacked and I remember watching it today being like yeah this magician guy wouldn't like doesn't do like 300 push-ups a day well I mean they talk about you know how like some magicians need to be super strong to, to be able to like do shit like yeah. I mean that actually that character the uh, the Asian magician that they go to That's see based off a real yeah. based off a real dude who was actually a white person yep and dressed up like an Asian magician yeah and would do that for night he did it for like nineteen years or something like a long time and he actually died um he was shot. Oh, really? With a uh, doing the bullet catch. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know about his demise on stage. I'm pretty sure he died. I know that it's a story that I heard uh, talking with people about magicians mm -hmm. uh, getting ready for this, and it's yeah. like he he caught it, and apparently, like he was on stage, he was in character, and when he got shot, he was like, "Something's wrong," like in like just this American <laughs> accent. Wait and everybody second. in the audience was like, wait, what the fuck? And like, he like went off stage and like, that was it. And everyone was like, wait a minute, are you fucking kidding me? Is this guy dead? That's like, it's crazy. I think that's really, and I think that there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of really fun, like magician inside jokes in this, you know, sure. some are better than others. I think that yeah. like they, they, uh, they, you know, they do the whole, um, 
obviously the idea of like magicians competing against each other kind of thing where like that's always a thing it's kind of like you know you're always trying to steal the other person's show essentially yeah. whether whether to like expose it or it's like an to... arms race the minute that yeah. someone does the coolest thing you're like well i want to do that now right you know how do i fold that into my act mm -hmm. and even the uh the engineers they are you know changing and retooling these tricks like the uh, michael king's character by the second act we have a a twist on the the bird disappearing act you know, so, like, they're, they're always, I, I feel like in that industry, especially at that time, like, they're all changing things and building on things, but it's not too unlike film, even, too, where it's just a art form that just builds on each other and evolves, and, like, people kind of take or reuse or reutilize. Mm -hmm. There's, yeah, I really, I, I love Michael Caine's character in this. I, I love Cutter. He is, because he's just so, like, he just kind of pops in there, and he's just kind of like, what's up? Yeah. And he, he seems like he knows exactly what he's doing pretty much at all times. Even when, like, he's like, well, we should do it this way, and the other person's like, no, we'll do it this way. And he's like, well, all right, so if we're going to do that, we're going to have to do this instead now. Mm -hmm. uh, like, when Hugh Jackman's character is like, it's got to, my name's got to be the great Danton. I can't change it. Yeah. My dead wife named me. You give me that name. Which again, too, brings up, I, I guess we'll get it out of the way in this episode, uh, Christopher Nolan's obsession with dead wives. Yeah. Yep. Well, oh. every single, excluding the Batmans, even though, I mean. Excuse me. Dead. The Dark Knight? Dead girlfriend. It's same difference. Yeah. Dead significant other, and it sure. happens to be a woman. Sure. Yeah. Agreed. But Very especially odd. in the prestige, Inception, Interstellar, dead wives. Dead flat, wives. Flat, across mm -hmm. the board. And then Dunkirk. Just no wives. no wives, no wives, no wives, none. They're all. It's dead. a weird like. Is no one like like tapped on? Memento, dead like, wife, dead wife. What about? I didn't see the one before Memento. Following does have a. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, why? Because he's fucking weird. He's I don't weird. know, man. He's fucking weird. It's it's an odd odd he, thing. There are just like some weird. Think about Liam Neeson in Batman Begins. Dead wife. Fuck, you're right. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Take a nice sip of wine. But then at the dead same wives. time, too, you know, it's uh, there's dead husband in Dark Knight, Commissioner Gordon, but he's not really dead. No. Uh, there's uh, uh, Thomas Wayne's wife is dead in Batman Begins, but uh, Martha Wayne's husband is also dead. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't just kill the wives. Well, no, but it's an interesting thing because you can point it out, and that's, the, you know, that's the whole argument behind... Uh, how far down how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go with an idea that like it makes sense on the surface yeah. but if you keep going it's like you know i've heard arguments about the prestige which are put into a lot of christopher nolan's movies including the batman ones where it's like he doesn't really respect his female characters he kind of uses them as devices i can agree with but that but i'm also i'm i'm of the and i and i'm of the same mind i was like well that's what side characters are there for it's not so much that he's using female characters as devices. It's that he doesn't really have any female main characters yeah. in most of his movies. Even in things like Inception and Interstellar, Anne Hathaway and like Alan Page's characters are just kind of there in service of the grander story. They have it's a little a male bit more agency than so. Like I, I think in this movie, cause that's my own real criticism. That we should just get out of the way because we love this movie. Yeah, but my own real criticism of Prestige is. Uh, a lot of the women in the movie are, they are side characters, and they are, 
devices to be kind of used up and thrown away to show how terrible this these men's competition against each other are. Absolutely. So, you know, on one hand, like it serves it services the story very well to see how, you know, um Borden and um oh, what's his name? Uh Angiers. Angiers, mm-hmm. they you know, no matter what's around them, they will use up and throw away anything. And even though that Borden is two men, one in love with his wife and daughter, uh, he still does not do them justice. Mm-hmm. Even because he has to have a double life, but even the one that does love her kind of uses her up for everything that she is, and then she ends up killing herself. Mm-hmm. The same thing with um, Scarlett Johansson's character. And too, that's, I think you know? that, like, and and that's, and I'm total, I total, I totally agree. Not almost none of the characters in this movie, the female characters, have any agency over what they're doing yeah. or what situations they're in, except for um, uh, Andrew's wife at the beginning, which the first time she takes any action into her own hands, she fucking dies. She gets killed. So, yep. like, I get it. <laughs> but also, at the same time, I'm a huge... I'm a, I, I care just as... And I may be wrong in this, but I care just as much about the story that I'm watching as I do about the... Uh, social real life implications that it can incur and this movie can be inferred in a way where it's telling women that like if you take things in your own hand you will be there will be consequences and I, i i understand the point of it and that we need more representation and just to like mix it up a little bit, I it's, I am a, a huge provocateur. Of it's that. hard in period pieces as well, right? Because during these periods, this is the roles that women had in the society. Like if you were the lovely assistant, that's yeah what you are. In but stage, I mean, like but. they're also going to introduce like weird like steampunk vests into these I love that vest too but it's like if they're gonna take those merits like why not and like I think Scarlett Johansson's character is absolutely fine in this she's just getting fucked around by these two guys because they suck but she dips and she actually does care about both of them yeah you know like and and they they treat her like shit Mm -hmm. and I don't think that this is meant to be a you can infer it that way but I don't think it's supposed to be a representation of how Christopher Nolan feels about women, I think it's a representation of how Christopher Nolan feels that he can communicate stories. Now, whether or not that's a problem, that's opinion-based. Yeah. Whether or not that should be fixed is, we will see. But yeah. I think that, you know, I uh, Rebecca Hall's character in this, uh, who plays um, the wife of uh, the Borden twins. Yes, Sarah. Her, like, arc in this, which she doesn't really have one Again, but like the events of the events of the film and how they affect her and how they affect her performance, she's got like it's insanely sad and and insanely trying because you see this person is met with these difficulties that she can't overcome, and she literally cannot overcome them in the end. And they like the the story forces a mother to abandon her child just out of complete deep depression and sadness. Mm -hmm. And I think to just blame that on the fact that the writers and the director are white males that seem to have a history with not respecting women, fictional women in stories. Nothing has ever said anything. Apparently Christopher Nolan is one of the best uh, husbands and fathers in in the industry. Yeah. He doesn't work weekends. He doesn't have a cell phone, you know? So it's like, it's a hell of a leap. Yeah. But I'm never going to argue against because again, any, any argument for helps, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you can take it a bit too far where it's like, no, just, but the story is so good. And, and if, and I feel like if they did have more agency, it would take away from what they're trying to talk about at the heart of the story, which is these two 
completely monstrous, obsessed yeah. people. The thing is, the movie does not glorify these two men. No, not at all. And I think that kind of services the plight of these women a little bit better. Because if we had these two men where you leave the movie being like, man, they were so close to getting that magic trick, then it's almost like they're sacrifices for not. It doesn't yeah. really matter. But I mean, yeah, we're, you get we're, to the they never movie, say like, mm-hmm. ooh, look at how these guys are acting. That's yeah. cool, right? No. They're like, no, these people are acting despicably. They are monsters because obsession. Obsession is the root of evil in this film. And revenge. They're obsessed with being the best magician... But they also, it's just, you know, it starts off as Borden kind of does the first wrong by not knowing what knot he ties for Angier's uh, well, wife. But then it just escalates. Well, all know? right, so as we go on, because we're going to break, I really want to break into the idea between, the differences between Alfred and Freddy. Ah. Because watching it or, last night, or, I really uh, tried to figure out who was who? who was who at certain spots. I mean, they're trying to trick you the whole time. Uh, Freddy's the dick. Yes. Uh, Alfred is the one who falls in love with, with Sarah, Sarah. Mm-hmm. and he survives he's at the, the end father of, the movie. of the daughter. He's the one who lives. And he's, he's the, the one surviving who lives. twin. Yes, yeah. because he's the one at the end he says uh, he's back with the real transported man. We don't need it. Our wife is dead. Yeah. Stop. We don't need to do this. We'll let him be. He'll finish his 100 performances and he'll go away. And then Freddie is the and one that's like flip. I'm going to go. Yeah. And I want to see him one more time, and he's the one that's present when it happens. And then when you get to the end of the movie, um, when they're in the jail cell, and Freddy is talking to um, Fallon, Alfred, he's like, um, he because he's the one who's just like, you gotta, you gotta get to Jess, you gotta get to your daughter. I'm, you know, I'm done. Like, I, I'll take, I'll be the one who gets hung for this. Like, I'll do it because. He's kind of the aggressive twin that. He's the puts one that's fucked position. a lot of shit up. He's he's the reason why Sarah killed herself. Mm-hmm. And I think that well, he's also they're the both, one. They're both to blame, really. They're both to blame, absolutely. Yeah. But I, he's the one that has presented the problems too. I also think he's the one that maybe isn't into magic as much as uh, Alfred. I think that. Because one of the big plot holes a lot of people bring up is the idea, like, what are the odds that these two brothers would both be so obsessed with magic, <laughs> where they're just like, we're gonna fucking sacrifice everything. Well, maybe they're like in service of this one great trick. Maybe because they were born being like, well, we're twins and we could just do so many good tricks. Well, and it's not, it's not so, <laughs> and it's not like a plot hole. It's more just like a, it's one of those things Weird where if you think about it, you're kind of like, what are the odds of that? Like, that's pretty intense. Yeah. But, um, Such a good twist. It really is a great ending. When I first, so I first saw the movie, I had to be like thirteen, and I remember two days later I saw it again because I got it was like one of the, it was the first movie I saw as a young boy that was like I have to see it again because now the whole movie is different. Right, the whole movie—it's got is different great now. different rewatch value. Oh yeah, you, you pick up on so many cool things. Even watching it today, and I was thinking about this might be the movie I've seen the most out of all movies, except for maybe some Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back, I've seen a lot. Um, but I've seen The Prestige a lot, and even watching it today, I was like, and having written an article about it, and like done a ton of research about the movie, even getting to the end of the movie today, I was just like, oh my god, I hope that it's um, the one who's Jess's father that is actually the one that's going to end up with his daughter. Because I was, I was like, I'm not sure which one's in the jail cell, and then it, it gets answered for you mm-hmm. that... Um, it is Alfred who does win out in the end. Um, 
but I, I was unsure up until like the last like moments of the film. I was just like, I really hope that Freddy takes like the fall for this one because. Yeah, I guess it does make sense, you know, a little bit where it's like it's not that bad if Freddy is the one that takes the fall because oh, it is though because he doesn't I mean, love, it's still he doesn't bad. love Jess the same way. It's not his daughter, right? I mean, it's, it's, so it's his niece. Yeah, and it's like I think it's it's a little the whole idea between like him and Scarlett Johansson, like and he meets somebody, you know, because it's like you fell in love with this girl, uh, Sarah, and now we're married, but I can't, yeah, I can't be romantically connected. I can't have sex with her. Like that's fuck. That's like, I would hope that they would draw the line at that. Oh, they do. Which I really think they do. And that's the frustration in them. And that's why when Scarlett Johansson shows up, you know, he's got that line. He's like, we were just talking about that. Weren't we Fallon with a woman issues? With a woman issues. We need a woman touch. (laughs) We need a womanly touch. Well, you remember the scene, um, where, Alfred goes to see Olivia, Scarlett Johansson's character, and like she goes to kiss him, and he kind of like turns his face because yeah. he's like, "I, I, you're not my wife." Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that too, and I think it's you. You would think like, why wouldn't they just like not do that? No, no, not fake it. Just like, why would they send Alfred to go hang out with Scarlett Johansson? It is that, weird. And right? the reason that they do that, and I thought about it a little bit. It's because if one, if something were to happen to one of them. Uh, the other one needs to know what's going on in that life. So they need to share it as much as yeah. possible so that they're both fully aware of how they act around each other. They're both fully aware of like trip to the zoo and stuff like that. They yeah. need to be the communication there. And also the fact that it seems like this guy is just really uh, messed up and can't make up his mind is part of the character of Alfred as a person. That yes. you're seeing as Borden as a person because he's a singular character for all of his for purposes. everybody else. Yes, yeah. any anybody everybody else except for him and um, and his brother. Yeah, like except for them, like they are sharing one person yeah. to everyone, and it just makes it easier if they are. I know how Scarlett Johansson acts around me, yeah. and I know how Rebecca Hall acts around me, and. I think that's important. Yeah, when uh, Alfred's confronting Angier in the like final scene of the movie, he's Angier's like, "You have a twin brother. One of you was Fallon. One of you was Alfred." And he's like, "No, we both were every, like we were switching constantly." So like the yeah, idea, yeah, he's got that great, yeah. That that ending monologue's fantastic. But the idea of um, and I think that's a, a theme in the film is kind of like unstable identity. Yep. For sure, because, you know, Angier, by the last Angier we see in the movie, like, he's been killing himself. Ooh, and he turns like, into, like, I love time. how yeah. we're introduced and to the story. And then he turns to a whole, Lord Caldwell. Yeah, we're introduced Caldwell. to the story, and before you understand the whole mm-hmm. idea, we're like, you've just been shown the trick at the end, the prestige over the hats. Yeah. You know, this is the prestige, this is, this the, trick. is the trick. Yeah. Um, you're, you're presented with Hugh Jackman's character, uh, who is... And again, I, I can't stress enough how Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale being cast in these roles is so important. Mm. Because Hugh Jackman at this point, he is our Wolverine. He, he's, our, he's our Logan. Yeah. He's our James. He is our James. Um, he's the good guy. Christian Bale, yeah, he's as Batman and he's getting up there. But in the past, Christian Bale has been known as, you know, American Psycho. Yeah. You know, and uh, The Machinist, like really dark roles. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of presented in the beginning that Hugh Jackman is this good guy and Christian Bale's character is killing him. 
is murdering. Yeah. You know, it's presented in this weird way where you're like, oh my God, did an accident happen? Or we need to find out now, like, why did this person kill this guy? That's the question on hand. And then we slowly find out that no, actually, at some point, Hugh Jackman becomes the bad guy. These guys both do very terrible things, but we finally see that Hugh Jackman, the lengths that he's willing to go to to win. He's sacrifice way oh, so much everything well what was that one line where he's like i don't care about my dead wife i care about his yeah, secret and it's I don't like care about my wife i care about his secret which i think kind of plays into as well like the idea that why is he drowning all of his clones yeah you know he's he's well he wants it's it's like going home what he thinks Mm-hmm. that's what Michael Caine's character tells he him. says it was like going home but actually yeah. it's not it's agony it's absolute agony yeah. yep and I mean and that's also too like that's great his when his uh, his wife mm-hmm. that whole scene where they, they bring up like here's the rules of the tank and they yeah. show you it once and you're like ah, cool entertaining yeah and then you're like oh don't do that not and then they no, do that not and, and not. then you're like no 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 it's great because that's that shot of Michael Caine like Holding Looking at, at the stopwatch and, lo- and then like so the, the so watch. just like monotone. That's and then it. Like, this is part of the gig, and, and then, then he puts the axe down. Like that's great. And then to have that pay off just moments later. Even with the, the scene where he breaks her out, he his face doesn't change. It's just like fuck. Yeah, <laughs> gotta get her out of the mm-hmm. tank. This is that like this professional that shit. Yeah. yeah, I really I, I love the idea of Angier like drowning himself because even though he has that line where he's like, I don't care about my dead wife, I care about the secret. He hates himself. Yes. He hates himself. That's why he's he's like, I don't care about my life. I care about the great Danton. I care about my legacy. And that's like kind of the folly of man, you know. And I think that speaks to, too, like, you know, the, the that ending speech that he gives is meant to kind of divide these two main characters, which whose uh, um, uh, names spell out Abra. Oh, hey. You know that? Look at that. Yeah. I did not know that. Yep. Alfred Borden and um, what is it? Robert Angiers. Oh, shit. Look at you. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. But they can do it. As long as they don't say it in the movie. Like, ah, Alfred Alfred Borden and and Robert Andrews. I'm like a little apricadabra, eh? And Cutter has a scene where he's just like, you know, I always wondered why you guys work together. I hate each other so much. Your name's not Abra. You should be friends. You should be friends. What's the point of doing all those push-ups if you can't even lift a bloody log? (laughs) The, uh, so the, the, the idea that Christian Bale's Alfred is more interested in him in the act. The act, like the trick, is what is special. That, love, that's what the audience wants. And Angiers wants the audience to love him. One is obsessed with showmanship, one is obsessed with like the, the technical the craft. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And like it's so and it's that's why they're so different. It's he uh Borden wants to create something that is going to be remembered forever. Angiers wants to be remembered forever himself. And he's yeah. a showman because he fucking hates himself, so he wants to find comfort in the fact that other people think of him as mm-hmm. a great magician. Yeah. Borden doesn't care about that. He wants to be thought of as the guy that came up with the best trick. That's why he's always pushing the envelope. He's like, I want to do the... You have to have sacrifice. I have a good trick. You have to get your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that. I honestly feel like Borden would have, you know, if he made the transported ban, yeah, and then Angiers never copied it, never tried to sabotage it, yeah, he would have stopped after that. He would have perfected it, 
and done it for a couple years, and then he would have retired. Because then nobody would ever find out how did they Alfred, do it. Alfred or Borden would have done that. Borden. Or Borden, Borden as a character, I think the both of them, that was their plan. Yeah. They were like, Borden, we're going to go down in history, we're going to make a lot of money doing this trick that we spent our whole lives building up to, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna back away. I disagree. I okay. think that Borden would have done the Transported Man, in this scenario, Borden does the Transported Man, gets famous as a thing, and he's just like, we have to do the next thing. And it just gets more dangerous and more like of a strain on this already strain. And you're, and you're pulling that from the obsessive nature. Yeah, I think I'm so. I'm saying that before the events of the movie take place, okay, before we are introduced to the character of Alfred Borden, mm-hmm. his plan is, I'm going to enter the magic world, pull off some tricks, yep. work in some internships, do all this stuff, mm-hmm. and then one day I'm going to make my life seem as normal as possible. I'm a falls in loves. I'm a, I'm a haves me a daughter, and everything's going to be normal, and then we're going to drop the transport of man on the world really small, and then we're going to make it really big, mm. and we're going to make it even bigger, and then that's it. And no one is ever going to be able to find out how the hell did that guy do that trick way back then. It's gonna, and it's going to be remembered for the trick. Yeah. Like, nobody can forget the trick. Angiers wants himself. He wants to be the great Danton. That's why also like uh, Borden's character is the professor. Mm-hmm. And what is a professor? It's a someone s- who can who can teach you something. Someone who stands for something else that like the the whatever if you want to actually call it for a really good uh, uh, it's like a met- good metaphor for the genre. Mm-hmm. Of whatever you're doing, the medium of it, mm-hmm. he's gonna boop. Here you go, and it's actually really good too because the professor obviously leans up to when he starts using Tesla's stuff to to flash it up. Yeah, because he because he's not it. actually using he it. He doesn't he's, use the he's flashing it up. It. Yeah, yeah. Because like the, the first time he does the transported man, it's literally just like two boxes. Yeah, with doors, and, and he just bu- like throws the ball. And I love mm-hmm. that scene too. I think it's one of the most crafted scenes ever. Uh, with Hugh Jackman going in there, seeing it, but then discussing to Scarlett Johansson what the trick was. Yeah. And he's just like, it was the greatest magic trick I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. then you you don't he get just... to see it. You don't get to see it. You see him throw the ball, go in, and then you cut to Michael Caine's face, Cutter, in the audience, watching and unimpressed. He's like, yeah. he uses a double. But no, he doesn't. Well, yes, he does. Yes, he does. That's the whole thing. It's like you want to find, he wants to find something more. Because he's upset, you know, because he's like, he obviously has to have something over me. But he's tricked. But he's, he's, tricked. he's tricked by the master he's trick. Tricked. He's he's just another audience member, mm-hmm. but he just wants to top it. He has a different motive. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Which leads to Hugh Jackman's second greatest performance of all time. As the drunken... Yeah. <laughs> I love that character. He... What's his name? Tool? Or it's something like oh, that. Oh, maybe. Tool would be great. I think that's what it is. If his name's Tool, that's... I mean, per- I have to look that up. Yeah, it's actually yeah, That's actually that too up. good. But it's... it's uh, He's... He's phenomenal. Uh, as that kind of like drunken version of himself. It doesn't say on uh, IMDb. But... Yeah, no, he's great. I mean, the the, the casting in this movie, like the double casting in this movie is so great. Well, because they deal with, you know, multiples pretty much right off the bat. The yeah. first shot is like a bunch of hats. And then the and ne- then a like bunch pretty of much birds. next a bunch of birds. Yeah. 
And, you know, you, like, right off the bat, too, very quickly, you get, uh, when Borden meets, um, Sarah, <coughs> oh, excuse me, uh, she's in, um, she's with her, uh, nephew. Yeah. And the nephew's like, the, that bird, like, what about his brother? And it's like, that's it right there. They just told you the fucking, the they, whole, just, they just told you the whole fucking been, movie right there. They, they've been telling you the whole movie. The whole time. The whole time. The, that scene where he's like. There's a, there's a phenomenal video online that came out like a couple years ago mm-hmm. about how, how Christopher Nolan uses, uh, the themes and everything in the prestige as like a magic trick in plain sight. I think it's called in plain sight is yeah. the name of the video. And it just talks about how like every, he's literally pulling a magic trick mm-hmm. with the movie where he's giving you everything. He's like, here's a thing right over here in my left hand. Yeah. See the thing? Now look over here in my right hand over here. Isn't the thing on my right hand so cool? And you stop looking at the, the thing in thing. the left hand, yeah. which you're like, that's no, that's the more important one. And then it's like, boop. Magic trick. Well, remember the scene The scene right after the one you were talking about with uh, the Sarah's nephew, where she, where he's like, where's where's his brother? Where's his brother? And then Alfred's just like, oh, he's like a sharp lad. And then the next scene is him taking the dead bird and throwing it in the trash. And that is the exact same disappearing act that Angier has, where one of the mm-hmm. clones gets dropped mm-hmm. into the garbage can, the tank of water, and the other brother lives. Mm-hmm. And that's... That is just the whole, and I, that's my favorite scene in the movie where it just—it's just the simple Alfred throwing out the dead bird, the carcass of the bird into the garbage, and kind of like resetting the trick. And I'm like, that's—that is the trick. That is the entire movie in that one, like maybe they do ten it seconds over scene. and over again. They're too. always like they just from the beginning of the movie. That, yeah. yeah, and it's almost just like, are you stupid? <laughs> you and you're like because there's no way that you will get it because Christopher Not Nolan is viewing. such yeah. a great magician with it. He's mm-hmm. just very good at that. It's it's phenomenal that he's able to pull it off for so long. And then you watch it the second time, and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with me? But because was... you could even tell. And I swear, I swear to God, I swear to God, Christian Bale is like. I was talking about this with uh, Diana. Okay. Last night, um, who I was watching it with, and she she was. I I swear to God, I swear to God, mm-hmm. Alfred is like five pounds heavier than Freddy in the face. I don't know if they're doing, nah. I don't, I swear no. to God, because I was trying to watch it and like, okay, I mean, when he's so fouling, I think this one's wears, Alfred, I think this one's Freddy. Fouling, but... Like when he's fouling, yeah, they do that whole thing. They do the whole makeup. But there's yeah. like, I, mm, there's something like when he's, I think it also just might be like, he just might be puffing his face up a little, maybe because he's more happier and he's smiling more. Yeah. But Christian Bale is a guy who like, this guy loses weight constantly all over the place. Oh yeah. And I just, I have this feeling, do I actually think that he's like gaining and losing like five to 10 pounds while he's like filming all these things? No, but I do think that maybe he's doing something like, you know, Going and standing in a really cold room, like a, like a freezer or something, and like making his face just a little bit different. Because I was watching it, and I've never thought about it before, but I was watching yeah. it last night, and I swear there's something going on with be, his face. I think it could be like the. Uh, I, I think that Freddie and Albert may have like different like haircuts or something. There's something. Do you there think it's something... maybe because he? His body, he had done like the American Psycho thing and the Machinist thing and then the Batman thing mm-hmm. and then he did this. Do you think maybe it's just because his body is just so easily fluctuated by his day-to-day regime that like he could just drop and lose 10 pounds like he didn't even realize it? 
Uh, and I'm just like maybe picking up on it no, I in think, one or two scenes and then applying it. I think that either there's really great make- makeup people on set or that he's just such a good actor that he's tricking you. He's a fucking great actor. Yeah. I would Christian love, Bale's amazing. Let me throw this at you real quick before okay. we head to a break. Let me take it. I love Christian Bale in this part. Yeah. I don't think anybody else could have done this role as good as Christian Bale except for one person on the planet. Let me speak to why I... I love Christian Bale in this role because he he brings a level of confidence to this duality, which is very much needed. He is he is tricking you, he is fooling you, he is being the one who's like, I am one person. And even the scenes where he's talking to Fallon, like, there's no one shirt. He's just like, just can you make sure you take it to the zoo? Just make sure. And like, even when things are at its worst, it's like, when they do that, you're like, there it is. Why still, is he saying that to still, Fallon? The first like, time even... I saw that movie, still, I mean, I was a young, I was a kid back then, and like you were younger too, but. The first time you see the movie, there's no reason for you to think right. they're they're the same person. Totally. Because yeah, there's no reason think of that. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason to think that the bullet's not in the gun. There's no reason for you to think that there's there's a double. Like mm-hmm. the movie is tricking you because the cool thing about film is that you can do the best match the 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 Venn diagram between mm-hmm. film and magic is big. That's like it's and, huge. And we'll talk about this more in the second half, because I yeah. want to talk to you about like the three act structure. Yeah, and everything sure. like that, and I want to talk to you about like how I th- I feel. Also, the movie is very heavily symbolic of editing, yes. film editing, and using that as like this kind of it's magic. A, it's show. a non-linear film. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. But uh, your your what do you think this would be, your acting choice? Do you think it'd be better or the uh, same? I think that he could do it, and it might not be as good, but I think that it would be interesting. Sure. But for. The sake of brevity and uh, being dramatic, I will say the one person in the world that I think could pull this performance off just as good as Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. Killian Murphy. Imagine it. With his... You need a different Angier. His deep blue eyes. You need a different Angier. No, and I think it could, and that's again the Simple thing the that. thing that makes it Batman and Wolverine is so perfect. They're, these actors are powerhouses dude mm-hmm. like I think if you have Killian Murphy the the foil the foil to Christian Bale being um, Hugh Jackman is like that's perfect mm-hmm. on screen it looks good the way that they perform as actors it really bounces well off, off each other because they have like a, a certain level of professionalism but then it turns into anger but there's also like a level of respect that they mutually have for each other throughout the entire film. I think Killian Murphy, he just needs to... Do, I think he could do that role. I think I he think would he be good to do that role. But I think you have and to change Angier. They come as a pair. Think about the weasley nature of Borden. And I think that... <sighs> I think that I, Hugh Jackman is the weasel, though. Well, that's the whole thing. Like you You're know, supposed like, to think that Borden's acting weaselly because he's constantly like... Yeah, yeah, I don't want to... But you, know, you realize his, his, his self-sacrifice... But see, here's my thing, too. I feel like Killian Murphy could play any role. <laughs> like, he could have played the Sarah role. He would have been great. He would have been great. He would have been great. Wife. Or even as Olivia, as the uh, lovely what else was, assistant. Uh, I've been trying to think about Rebecca Hall since last night. She plays Sarah? She plays the yeah Sarah the wife. Okay, and I'm trying to place her in what else has happened, but I didn't want to look at it because I was hoping I'd be able to figure it out. She looks familiar, but I mean, I'm not the one. You know, I'm not the one to ask. Yeah, I mean, 
because she looks very familiar. She's in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I knew that she's in the new Wonder Woman movie that's coming out about the guy that created Wonder Woman. Oh, oh she's in Iron Man 3. Oh, oh, she Iron Man 3? oh she's the science she's the science plant girl lady. Oh, Poison Ivy. No, essentially, yeah, where it's like, look, I made these fucking crazy plants. These, these Happy New Year, crazy. and then like, oh, I'm kind of a bad, spoiler alert for Iron Man 3, she's kind of the bad guy. A little bit, a little bit of a bad guy. That's funny, then, because it's Iron Man 3, and we got oh. Batman, and we got Wolverine. There's a lot of weird... Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. Yeah, there's... Hey, some... Andy Circus is in... Planet of the Apes? Civil War. Oh, he is, yeah. And, no, Age of no, no, Ultron and, and Black just... Panther. Wait. Is Andy Serkis... Andy Serkis doesn't play the robot, does he? No, Andy Serkis is... Um, I didn't see Andy Claw. Ultron. Is, uh, he's Claw, the guy that loses his hand. Ultron cuts off his hand. He's going to be nice. the bad guy in Black Panther. Oh, sick. Uh, Who else in this movie? Um, well, I mean, like, I like that... Uh, what is it? Christian Bale's character is named Alfred. Like, there's a lot of, like, weird kind of, like, crisscrosses of the superhero genres in here. Is... Has David Bowie been in a superhero movie? He, he just is a superhero. superhero. Yeah, there we go. He's just perfect. Who else is in this movie? Michael Caine is Alfred. You're totally right. Yeah. But it's funny because Christian Bale's, his character name is Alfred. And I mean, it's funny that, that that invigorated that because like her, Rebecca Hall's character in Iron Man 3 isn't really like, everybody else is super huge. Everyone I bet is, you every oh, yeah. single actor and extra in this movie has been in a Marvel movie. If they're going that route, yeah. Or a DC movie. It is Warner Brothers, isn't it? Uh, what? Oh, I think so, right? It's gotta be. Just, does Nolan just kind of I think get he, produced I think by he Warner throws Brothers? it at Warner Brothers ever Pretty since much. Getting, getting picked ba- up for... Batman. Yeah. Because I know Batman's owned by Warner Brothers, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, well, uh, let's uh, let's uh, <laughs> go on a little break here real cool. quick, and then we'll come back and we'll get into some more nitty-gritty. Sounds and good. Then we never cheers, actually. We'll cheers right now. We'll cheers right now. Mm-hmm. Is that bad luck? This is a bad podcast now. Mm. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this newest episode of Overdrinkers featuring me, your favorite Robert Anderson, I hope. Uh, I just wrote an article about uh, Spider-Man, it's part of a new column that I hope uh, more of the stories can writers engage with, but it's uh, Super Opinions. Where we just kind of share our thoughts about the biggest genre of movies out right now. Or one of. But uh, I wrote a article about what makes a good Spider-Man movie. It's a nice little opinion piece where I kind of go through all six of the Spider-Man movies. Talk about what I like about them. Maybe what I don't like. What makes them good. What makes them bad. But uh, I would love for you guys to check it out. Like, share. Tell me what you think of it. Tell me if you uh, disagree with that. Maybe you like Spider-Man 3. I don't fucking know. But, hey, check that out and uh, keep on checking out StoryScreen's content on StoryScreenBeacon.com. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Uh, so, we're going to keep talking about the prestige keep on keeping on um but i thought up front first we'd kind of talk about our first uh interaction with christopher nolan okay so what what, what was your uh what was your your first real like what was the first christopher nolan movie you saw batman begins in the theaters okay um 
and I loved it. And you didn't know who Christopher Nolan was? Probably still didn't until I saw The Prestige and then kind of put it together. That was like, oh, that's the same director. Uh, I always had a love for film and storytelling, but um, not not as woke as I am now about mm-hmm. the whole thing. Film woke? Film film woke. You, you uh, did, So when was the first time that like you hit like Memento? Was that like... Memento, I was going to school at Duchess. I think we were maybe talking about Memento in a class. And we didn't watch it or had to watch it, but I was like, this sounds so interesting. I want to check it out. And then I watched it on my own. I was like, holy shit, this movie's crazy. And uh, I really, and then uh, when I was going to Duchess, when I first started learning how to write screenplays, that's what I ended up going to SUNY Purchase for with screenwriting playwriting. That's what I'd like to do in the future is to write scripts. And uh, my writing actually took a very, like, not, I don't want to say Nolan-esque turn in terms of, like, it was good. But, like, I wrote a lot about, like... Got a lot more confusing? Got a lot more confusing, because I was writing stories about, like, um, I think, like, one of the first scripts I wrote was a little short about a character who was, like, in a therapist's, like, office and was being talked to, and then it's you realize that they're the same person. So I was writing a lot of, like... Tricky. So crazy. Oh, my God. But, I, you know, the, the mementos of the world and the prestiges of the world kind of, you know, taught me about non-linear storytelling or unreliable protagonists and that was that's why i always kind of gave nolan where he the things that he taught me him as a filmmaker to me as a aspiring writer was the idea of non-linear storytelling um the end of the movie not being being like the sum of all of its parts it doesn't have to be like a linear path and your your unreliable narrative is your unreliable narrator was really the lesson I took from Memento. Mm-hmm. I think for me the order that I saw Nolan movies in was Begins, Prestige, uh, which I both saw in theaters multiple times with my little like grade school allowance, and then I saw Memento on my own. And those are those are my beginning trilogy of Nolan films. Mm-hmm. Both. Well, that uh, and that's it's. I was thinking. We haven't gotten a movie like The Prestige in terms of how, like, it it, it is a small movie, but it yeah. feels like a big movie. It's so intimate, though, because it's about these right. two people. Well, and it, because it, it, it's, it, uh, it's one of the most immersive movies. Like, it just brings you into its rules and its world and, like, this kind of... The costume and set design and, like, the places they go. I remember watching this movie. I'm watching this movie today, and I'm like, I want to go to every place where they did the filming for this flick. Because everywhere's beautiful or, like, a dingy London theater. I'm like, I want to go to that place really bad. Or, like, I want to go to the kind of, like, laboratory where they make magic tricks and, like, Mm -hmm. keep the birds that they kill. Like, I want to go to these places because they look so engaging and Mm -hmm. interesting and, like, I feel like they make these world, they make the world in prestige look like you go into this room and you could just kind of play around with like all like the little gadgets and, and like trinkets they have in there. And like, maybe you'll find your weird steampunk vest or like the, <laughs> the makeup of Fallon and Alfred and like these places I just want to go they, to. They do give you like a peek behind the curtain of like, kind of like behind the scenes footage from mm-hmm. a film. In this movie, they really do give you that on, like, what it was like to yeah. be a magician operating in this time when, like, there was no TV. There, his cinema was just, like, this yeah. thing that, like, really hadn't started yet. The trick can really exist on its own, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I always... It's like wanting to go to the, uh, like, creature creator behind every, like, uh, George Lucas movie when doing Star Wars. It's just like, I just want to go where they make the aliens. Mm-hmm. 
wondering those places. And that's what those rooms really feel like and I really like. But Burge, what was your kind of Nolan path? Uh, the first Nolan movie I ever saw was Memento. Right. Uh, right when it was like pretty big when it first came out, like in the late 90s. You're a little bit or older early than aughts, me. Rather, like I think it was like 2000, 2001 I probably saw it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there was no other Nolan movie to see, but this guy was getting a bunch of stuff and Following was there and I was able to find a copy of that. Yeah. Watched Following and I love Following. Mm. Um, which, and then like, and then there was Insomnia that okay. he came out with, which is like his really lesser known. And then like he hit it really, really big with, uh, Batman Begins. Right. And then from there it was like. Now, like, when Inception came, when The Dark Knight hit, it was this huge fucking deal. That's the wave. And then yeah. when Inception happened afterwards, like, from the director of The Dark Knight, it was no longer from the director of Memento yeah. and Batman Begins. It was all from the director of The Dark Knight. That's how they started selling Inception. They're like, this is the dude that made that movie that everybody likes. Everyone's into. Come yeah. check this out. It's a really cool idea. And then, you know, Dark Knight Rises was like... It's another Dark Knight movie. Uh, we kept it in the name this time because we're not idiots. And then Interstellar was like from the director of the Dark Knight and Inception. Like, yeah. And he's placating on those. And same with Dunkirk as well, which Dunkirk is a smaller movie in scale compared to like things like the Dark Knight trilogy, Interstellar, Inception. I do think Dunkirk also exists a little separate Absolutely. from those. Yeah, because he's detached himself now. You know, he had his, been some time. He had his early works, those three, like we talked about before in the Memento podcast, mm. and he had his Dark Knight trilogy. He had his For Me trilogy yes. with dealing with the ideas of telling a story and also kind of incorporating uh, filmmaking and like this kind of like meta cinematic kind of stuff to it. Yeah. And now he's entering into something new. Which we're not totally sure about where that's going to go. No, but I'm liking it so far. Dunkirk's yeah. great. Um, Burge, I kind of to play host for a second, I'm curious. I explained kind of how Nolan influenced me as a writer. You also went to school for kind of like a similar track that I did. We both went to Duchess. Mm -hmm. I ended up going to Purchase for screenwriting and playwriting, but you have written some scripts on your own. Yep. You obviously found your... Uh, program for story screen you've written many articles on these kind of things i'm curious how nolan has influenced your artwork and your kind of critical eye for film i think it's well thank you so much robbie for asking me that question i think it's a uh, uh, one of the few scripts that i ever actually finished and gave a second draft to mm -hmm. um uh, jumps linearly, uh, like uh, it's non-linear. It, it jumps around from time to time, and it, those were really inspired by films like Memento and Reservoir Dogs right. and Pulp Fiction. You know where it's the kind like, of vignettes. Yes, of where movies, it's yeah. kind of like it's easier to write to as like a novice writer because you can kind of just like, what do I feel like writing today? And you can kind of write all these little tiny scenes and you can write them in an order that you'd like them and then eventually you find out oh i can kind of move them around add things in here add things in there and that's and probably the biggest an arc overall yeah, yeah. and you can figure minutes. like oh yeah. right. but it's a lot easier for a novice writer who's not used to sitting down and you know structuring something out from the very beginning you can kind of get a feel for and you can fall in love with uh writing screenplays that way too where it's like a lot of people don't want to sit down and start writing because they're starting to feel like there are rules and there are no rules there's just eventually when you get into editing you need to start incorporating rules start incorporating traditions that are going to make it more serviceable more applicable and more emotional and affecting 
I think that the the school of Nolan is a is a trap for young writers. Yeah. Because you know, I know it happened to me, like I just described. It happened to you, where you. It's a learning experience to write movies this way, but the, the reason why no one pulls it off so well is because he's experienced. And he, it, it's it's the auteur yeah. Uh, yeah. complex where it's like people want to write like Quentin Tarantino and yeah. people want to make movies like Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. and that, and same with Christopher Nolan. But at the end of the day, it's these guys have created their own niches where no matter what genre they're doing, whether it be a Batman movie, uh, a meta cinematic critique, or a war movie. It's a Christopher Nolan movie, yeah. and he's got his own stamp that he can put on that. It's the same with Quentin Tarantino. He's making a Nazi movie. He's making a slave movie. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie first and foremost because yeah. he has uh, created his own style that if anybody were to ever even come anywhere close to replicating it, it's going to feel like a complete ripoff. Right. You know. So I think that. Movies that like Christopher Nolan makes and Quentin Tarantino makes and everybody else like these these auteurs of the new age or the old age, when you try and make a movie that's based off of that because you have to start writing stories that you know and when you're younger you can only watch so many movies you know that are available to you, you start kind of feeding off of the 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 inspirations the people that you. that you respect in film. And I think with Nolan, especially for people our age, that was a big thing. When Memento hit, it was a big one. And, you know, the same with the, like uh, the Wachowskis with the Matrix. He's a freshman filmmaker. We, we have been around to kind of see grow in the industry much as if we maybe have grown and, and trying to break into the industry or even in in the way that we do story screen and our little kind of like, critical not even little anymore but like the way that we you know critically analyze things and write about stuff like we have followed nolan through his rise to fame yes um, and he's you know i have i have a love for nolan i don't love all of his movies i am definitely really critical on the on inception and dark knight rises and interstellar has a weird soft spot for me mm-hmm. but uh you know i do love him as a filmmaker because i i think that the things that he really excels at is just like perfect pacing he's very good at that and he he just really knows how to kind of like do a beat to beat to beat to beat and he's he's just really good Mm -hmm. he's really great and it was really refreshing to even see like dunkirk and kind of be like okay this is different than what we've seen but that all being said watching Every time I watch The Prestige, I'm always disappointed because I'm like, I don't think he's going to make another movie like this ever again. And that's, yeah, what's kind of upsetting because you see it's like, it's it's small, but it's big at the same time. And it's, he really hasn't made anything like that because Memento is small, you know, and it's big in what it's doing, but it always Things are always big, but the stories are usually more intimate. Yeah, and Prestige is very small, it's a small movie, but like what it's dealing with like expands a lot of time. Yeah. You know, which I guess is like a really good way of getting into um, the idea of like what is Nolan saying with the prestige yeah. uh, as far as like, you know, so I have this whole concept of uh, editing mm-hmm. in the film and how they are constantly jumping back and forth between these two narratives that are presented to us uh, in the form of uh, Borden's journal mm-hmm. and... Um, and uh, Robert's journal. Yes. It, like, uh, they're, and they're both um, red herrings. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're both they're, we, both, like, they're both revealed mm-hmm. to be uh, narratives that are untrustworthy, and as we are bouncing back and forth between them, they show us like, okay, so Borden's reading Angier's journal, and Angier is reading Borden's journal, and once they show that, they just start kind of cutting automatically between these things without even letting you know where they're at. Yeah. And they he trusts you to figure it out. A lot like he does with Memento, where he just kind of jumps into this idea where he's like, we're going to play this movie backwards, and we're going to explain that to you very briefly without outright explaining it, and hopefully you'll pick up on it. Yeah. And with Memento, like pretty much around like the seven-minute mark, you really get what's going on. Mm-hmm. In Prestige, it's pretty much kind of the same thing. Around the 15-minute mark, you really kind of figure out, you're like, okay, so... This crime happened where Angiers is dead, yeah. and Borden is is going to be executed. Hung, uh, yeah. Is going to be hung for his murder, and we have Borden is sitting in his cell reading Angiers' journal that was given to him by a man who represents uh, this dude that wants to buy all of uh, Borden's uh, secrets, all of his uh-huh. tricks, and. He's reading about, it starts off with him reading about Angier going to Colorado to meet Tesla because we later find out he was given the information to go find Tesla uh, to Tes- figure out Tesla his trick. Is, Tesla as a word is the cipher is to cipher. unlock and so his journal for Angier. Right, and so he's venturing out to meet Tesla to figure out the trick, but also using the word Tesla as the cipher code, he yeah. is reading um borden's journal yes and writing about it in his own journal that is also a fake Mm -hmm. both the both the journals are absolute fakes and that's the whole thing like these two characters are so obsessed with one another that every single aspect of their life yes it's just like getting at you it's just like opening it up and showing you one thing and then showing you all these amazing tidbits that you think that you're supposed to be paying attention to and then right at the end it's yes you, Borden. Yes. I wrote it for you. Mm. And so the idea of like editing around that is no small task. And no. keeping it as cohesive as they do throughout the movie is absolutely insane that they're able to pull that off. And also at the same time explaining all these personal details of their lives. And like Angiers even says, Borden's entries are sporadical. He's complaining about his wife, Sarah, one day, and then the next day, like, just yeah. saying how bad he feels, how he's not enough for her, and he's not getting, it's like, because this is being written by two different fucking people. Yeah. You know, and it's, but it's again, to trick you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it, it's like, how much of it is real and how much of it is fake, that's like, what a magic trick is. The journals are complete metaphors for a magic trick uh, either for an audience or being viewed by someone who is also in like yeah. the magician occupation, mm-hmm. the occupation of trickery. Yes, uh, it's crazy that this movie came out the same time as like The Illusionist, and like one yeah. really understands like magic and the themes of like to be a magician and to use that as an allegory for filmmaking. 
Way more than the other one. I've seen The Illusionist once. I don't want to like to The Illusionist it. starring uh, Paul Giamatti and, um, and uh, uh, Hollywood hothead Edward Norton. Yes. Um, I don't want to throw that movie under the bus because I do remember seeing it. It's a fun movie. I it enjoy really it. Is. Yeah, it's, you know, in comparison to this one, it's just it can't help but fall short because this is something that's being they, made. They came out within the same like 30 days of each other. They came out very close. Yeah. And I mean, this is one of those things too where it's like movies are constantly coming out. Like Armageddon and Deep Impact came out the same year. Oh, yeah. And it's one of of those things where it's just no like, well, yeah, off, this but... Armageddon was getting a lot of heat. Uh, the screenplay was getting a lot of heat. People were like, they're making a, a meteor movie. Yeah. And then the other studio was like, we'll make a meteor movie too. And we'll release it after that one because everybody, everybody will be like, meteors are so fucking boss. I wish there were more movies about meteors. What? What's that? There's another meteor movie starring Elijah Wood? <gasps> and they go for it. And it's, you know, and Deep Impact and Armageddon are great, a great example of that because they're so, they're entirely different movies. Yeah. And like uh, Alien Resurrection came out around the same time as Starship Troopers. Dread and uh, The Raid. Dread and the Raid. Yeah. Well, I mean, the those Dread are a little bit very more, much, pretty much, yeah. just kind of a ripoff of the Raid. They kind of use so that, good. but they're both really good because yeah. they use that thing in a different way. Right. The Raid is is an action set piece where you, like you go up a level, fight, go up a level, fight. Mm. Dread is more, uh, go up a level, fight, go up a level, fight. Yeah, they're similar. They're I think very similar. Dread and, and the Raid are. I think of all these movie examples where it's like. Oh no! These two are actually kind of like competing. Whereas, like, I think like the Prestige and the Illusionist are like they're both trying to do very different things. Yeah, there's magic folk, and you can but... respect you can respect something that's attempting to rip off the the play of another piece of art, another film, yeah. or anything like that. Like they're they're taking like everybody's really excited about that one, so we're gonna try and take that and do something a little bit different with it. Kind of use the momentum. Yeah, and then the you gotta just judge it based on its own merits. Like True Detective season two. The first season God of True Detective, everybody really likes it. And then they're like, oh, we got to make a second season. And he's like, okay, well, I'll make this. And like, they go for something completely different while trying to maintain what was really cool about the first one. But they can't... Con, if I could just conjure the spirit of Jack Holodesky, they, yell at you they can't me. do it because they can't do the occult. You know, they can't get Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey back. They can't do it in Louisiana. And those are like four things that are so cool about the first season. They had to do what they... they they did. They did what they could with what they had and the time that they had to do it. Season three of True Detective looks promising. Anybody that likes the third season of True Detective and doesn't like the second season of True Detective, I will kill. Maybe just, not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But it'll make it look like an accident. I just think the third season's going to be better, and there's just no way. To I mean. It doesn't have a lot to live up to anymore. Thank you. Kind of like the exact opposite of what season two was dealing with. Yeah. It's hard to make Citizen Kane 2. That's why you shouldn't do it. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, season two of True Detective is the one that stars Vince Vaughn. We know. Okay. You look confused there for a minute, like you didn't know where to go. No, well... I Are mean, we not going to talk about that anymore? I'm, try I'm trying to get back to the prestige, ah, but uh, okay. I keep That's fine. you're hosting this. That's fine. So. No, 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 we can... No, I don't want no, 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 to no, make no, you no, feel no. uncomfortable or anything, because no, 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 you just don't get it or anything. I'm not smart enough to understand how bad it is. Obviously, you're, you're right. not a big Darren Aronofsky guy, so, you know, hey, maybe listen. you didn't get it. 
I got, I got mother. I, you got, we got mother. <laughs> there's, th- there's three people during that show who really got mother. I'll tell you that. I've actually been bumping into a lot of people that I've seen mother that are very confused, and I've found that it's so much fun to talk to them about it. I would rather talk to people that don't like mother than people, people that really do like, like mother. Because people that do like mother, nothing to really talk about. Can you believe that shit? Yeah, I fucking can. That's fucking nuts. Can't believe okay, that was a it. movie. Like, I love goodbye. talking to people that don't get it. There's been a few it's like, people. Oh, what about this? And they're yeah. like, Oh shit! I made somebody almost like throw up the other day talking to him about like the Christian allegories and all that stuff. And like, <sighs> I was like, Yeah, remember Ed Harris has got like his rib messed up. That's because like I uh, took a took a rib to create Eve, and she shows up the next day, and he was like, What? <laughs> and excuse got really excuse me. Spoilers for Mother. I guess that's not really a spoiler. Uh, no, I mean, that movie is, is like, open, like, a open-faced sandwich at the moment. Like, I feel like all the things that would be spoilers people already know about, it's like... Jack's already sick of talking about it. He is sick of talking about it. He's sick of it. He's I like, think, fuck it, I don't care anymore. I can understand where he's coming from because what was the conversation is, can you believe it's about the Earth? Yeah. And it's yeah, just man. like, that's, like, the least interesting. The least interesting. It's just one, not yeah. interesting at mm-hmm. all. But, um, the prestige. The prestige. The prestige. So, a magic trick happens a, in two uh, acts. Three acts. <laughs> a magic trick consists of three parts. Three parts. I have, I have, uh, I have the paper somewhere. Yeah, you have it. I was, that's, that, that was me, uh... You were asking for the I papers. was queuing you. I was queuing right, you, Right, yeah. right. So, right, so... Wait, no, this, this is part one. <laughs> is this... I love how you the, found these, like, really big index cards to put these on. Well, I just know that you're not wearing your glasses. You're an old man. The magician shows you something ordinary. A deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it. I'm doing Sean Connery. Yeah, who? Yeah, do yeah. do Michael to Payne. show you. That What's the point of doing all those real, bloody push-ups? That it is indeed. Indeed, <laughs> if there is no word that is more Michael Caine than anything, it's indeed. No, no, it's never, never, never. never. Indeed. <laughs> real. To show you that it is indeed real, unaltered. There we go. But of course, it probably isn't. That's Wait, why no, 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 no. every magic trick has a third act. <laughs> Takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. It's a long now, part. you're looking for the secret. The second but act is always the longest part of because, the movie. Because, of course, you're not really looking. I've totally given up doing Michael Caine. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled. But you wouldn't clap yet. No. Because no. now is not the time for clapping. Because making something disappear, spelled with two did you, S's. Did you ad-lib? Why did you spell disappear with two S's? Because there's no spell check on paper, ding dong. Uh, isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act. The hardest part. The part we call Inception. Wait a second. A lot of people don't know that our podcasts are very scripted. Like, we write out the entire transcript. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got, two more th- we got two more things to do. Yeah. yeah. Like a hundred pages of dialogue that we write for each other. Mm-hmm. Even this conversation included. You can't included. leave something like this up to chance. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. People, people don't want to hear a conversation. People don't want to hear no, a no, bunch no. of assholes no. just drinking wine and just like, oh, we're going to do whatever we want. No, they want to hear a scripted conversation, a dialogue between two people that has been thought out, thawed out, and cooked 
for everybody. I'm not gonna make the. I'm not gonna do it. A little freezer burn. <laughs> freezer burn. That's so. Keeping the steak Jeez. on ice. On ice. <laughs> Hopefully, people know all of our podcasts and inside jokes before listening to this. <laughs> all right, mm. prestige. Um, it's fucking phenomenal. It's a great movie. The and way like, that. Oh, no, no, you because you, you you talk about talk about your 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 big opus. Well, you yourself dove deep into the idea about how the prestige and its uh, how the uh, the pledge, the turn, and the prestige act as this kind of three act structure. That's why we said that right there, ladies right. and gentlemen. We weren't just doing it for these fun. are these are we actually that, my notes. <laughs> we hope that you enjoyed it. Yes, um, but actually, it leads into Robbie now discussing with us one of the things that's really fucking cool not only about the prestige movie itself but about the screenplay its conception not inception that's it oh we gotta turn the tesla ball back on oh yeah there we go there we go all right talk to us about the 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 three act the amazing three act structure of the prestige. The prestige. You said a lot of it. I mean, um, I always kind of had a feeling, and then because being a part of Story Screen lets me tell people my opinions on things. But I always kind of thought of um, the the Nolan movies that are the ones for him are typically allegories for film. And the Inception and Interstellar part of that conversation can happen when you get to it. But in terms of the prestige. Uh, I think that the, the three acts of a magic trick are very emblematic of the three acts of a movie. The pledge is your act one. It is setting up and or giving you the thing that you will make extraordinary. It will give you the kind of like baseline understanding of the film. Having your exposition, your inciting incident, the kind of bits that will lead on to the exciting bits later in the movie. Castaway, starring Tom Hanks. Exactly. Here we have a man who works for FedEx... He is bored. Mm-hmm. He is getting on a plane. He eats a lot. And, he... and he's on a plane going somewhere. That's act two. the pledge of yes. Castaway. Then when you get to Act 2, the turn is when you make something go away, disappear. Do something extraordinary. Act 2 of the movie, Act 2 of any movie, is typically the longest chunk of a film uh, it's where most of the action takes place because we have kind of gotten through the baseline establishing rules and understanding of what the movie is. Uh, and now we get to see our characters and our thematics kind of like play, do things, have agency. What the movie's about. What the movie's really. about happens yeah. in Act 2. Mm-hmm. A lot of movies... In Castaway, Tom Hanks, the plane crashes. He's the sole survivor. Mm-hmm. And he's on an island all by himself. And he makes and a friend. And he needs to figure out a way to survive, both both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, physically by learning how to fish. Mentally by creating a volleyball. Yeah. Named Wilson. Yes. That he definitely does not have sex with. Does he? I haven't seen Castaway. He doesn't. Does does he not? make it weird. There are people that firmly believe that he fucked that volleyball. Is there a hole in the volleyball? There are people... Yes. Uh, Okay, so he fucked up. No, but it's not like that kind of hole. And I don't want to... I love... <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
it's one of those holes where you're like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. No, yeah, there's some holes that you're like, oh, I'll fuck that. Absolutely. And then there are other ones where you're yeah. just like, I'm not, you know. And he's on the island, and mm. he uh, eventually learns like, this is where I am. I can't get off. And he kind of accepts it. And he accepts it. Then you get to the Prestige. The Prestige, uh, in terms of the movie, the Prestige is bringing something back. Is bringing the thing that did something extraordinary back into the fold to kind of perhaps ground you or perhaps give you some kind of cathartic conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this movie, we get that with... And, and the beginning of the movie opens up with this entire... The monologue that Burge writes you before. The movie opens up with this... Basically telling you again like what three-act structure is, but mm-hmm. not what three-act structure is. Well, what... And obviously the third act of Castaway is he decides, I need to get off. He gets off, mm-hmm. but then he gets back to the world. He gets off in the and in, in Wilson, or no? He gets off the, the island. island. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. We were, I thought we were he loses about Wilson else. actually. And if you had seen Castaway, you would understand how mean of a joke that was that you just made. Because Wilson is a fucking tragedy. Mm. He gets off the island. He goes back home, and now nothing is the same because he's been gone for so long. And he himself is actually changed because of the events of the second act. Much like the movie Hurt Locker or Jumanji. Much like pretty much any movie ever. <laughs> Did you just say Jumanji, you little piece of shit? All right. Am I wrong? You win. Okay. Cool. Right, but you were saying about... Uh, <laughs> what what movie are we doing again? Prestige. Yeah. So yeah, so um, I always found that this movie has to be about screenwriting because uh, for a filmmaker to talk about a magic in three acts, he has to understand three-act structure. Three-act structure, the structure that most, if not all, movies are written under, except for when you get to things like Tire... Or like your anti-movies. Rubber. Rubber. Tire. I knew you meant. Yeah, thank you. And the audience thinks you as well. Um, so that's what uh, that's what I think the movie is really talking about is, um, not even just really, there's many themes at play in this film, but kind of at its core, it's using 3X structure to kind of convey this magic trick, but to also convey the kind of magic of storytelling. Which we like here at. Which we like here at Story, story Screen. Story Screen, yes. Um, and then you also, there's so many other things that kind of play into that. The idea of, um, science being created by wizards. Magicians do what wizards can't. The idea Mm -hmm. that, and like, you know, storytelling has been a part of human existence for many, 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 many years. Science has also been a part of that. The alchemy of turning something into something else. But the kind of Venn diagram of technology mixing with storytelling is what makes film. It's You can't really have film without modern tech. Film is, is, a, is for all intents and purposes, a very new art form. We have only been interacting with film for, since the, the early 1900s, about right? About years. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. And it's because technology has been, like, it's kind of, film was basically technology mixing with stage plays, and creating this kind of imagery on screen, of course, photography and things like that are. And it's part one of, that of the as ones well. too that's like so, uh, like hyperly advanced, mm-hmm. just out of necessity, and or not even not and just like happenstance. It's yeah. like film, uh, what you can do with storytelling and film just advances because of whatever advancement is happening in technology. Yes. Uh, when technology it just, changes, it just, it just film changes with it. Yeah. And uh, one of my uh, one of the scenes I really like in the film is when they go to the um, I forget what it's called exactly, mm. but uh, both magicians go to this kind of like science fair, 
That's exactly what it is. They go to a science fair. fair and everyone's just like, and then Tesla's showing off the the electrical machine that will be used later on to either spice up Borden's trick and or make the cloning process. It's essentially a Tesla, Tesla ball. ball. Like it's something that it looks crazy, but it's not doing anything. But people are terrified of it. Mm-hmm. And but and there's actually the guy that stands up in the mm-hmm. he's like, that thing's gonna blow that up. That thing's gonna blow up. That's the same guy that shows up later at the hotel that works for Edison. Oh, wait, really? Yep. That's crazy. Which I think is also a really well, fun touch that they, they use the whole Tesla and Edison dynamic mm-hmm. because those were two people that were both very were much competing against, competing each, against other. each other. And Edison was very much great Dante and Jeers, who was a showman. Hello, look at me, yes. look what I'm doing. And Tesla was a very recluse person like Borden. He was this guy that was like, I want what, what I'm doing. Yeah. I want the science of what I'm doing to transcend and go. I, before we dive back into like the deep oh, yeah, no, part no, no, of the film, go. but my my point with bringing up like the science fair is um, when they showed to like in the 1900s like a train coming at you from a telev- from a from a projected screen, people freaked the, the fuck the, out. Got out of the way. People were like, "No, this train's gonna kill me," and it's 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 conveyed the same way with this like crazy electrical magic machine, and that's the movie is about magic because magic and film are very similar. They, mm-hmm. they share a correlation and they're both very special. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I also really like Tesla's whole role as kind of like this guy who's kind of like a producer mm. in a way where he's like, nothing's impossible. What you want is an impossible, Christopher Nolan. I can, what you I want can is do expensive. It. Yeah. And this will go into Inception insanely more for multiple reasons that we'll yeah. save for that episode. For sure. Um, I can't speak as much to Inception as I can right. for stage, but, uh, <clears throat> David Bowie's Tesla kind of shows up as this character where he's like, I can do all this crazy shit, but people are fucking scared of me. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the whole... Edison Tesla race uh, with I know that there I know that there was one yes yes there, there, and and it pretty much is just that like Edison and Tesla were both attempting to create the idea of being able to use electricity for this way to power everyone and everything but they wanted different to be ways and different things one. and they were well Edison wanted to be the one okay Tesla was just really good at figuring it out before him mm-hmm. so and edison was coming up with ways to take what tesla was coming up with and turn it into uh more uh, use it more practically and that's you know that that's not an absolute statement that i just made there that's just kind of what was going on between them we're doing the one broad would strokes make something. Yeah, yeah and yeah. one of the things about tesla is that's really cool about this movie is this takes place in the later years of tesla's life Mm-hmm. Uh, electricity has been invented and founded, and people are using it, but it's sparse, it's scarce. It's it's a, it's an odd thing that people are still kind of. Angier was of. shocked to see an entire town, an entire town powered that's by electricity in Colorado. Crazy, you know, like New York City, big cities, big places that like somebody of his bravado is used to. Mm. He's in the middle of fucking nowhere, and he just sees that streetlight, yeah, which is phenomenal. Like that great, this is an amazing shot of him next to a streetlight that lights up, and he's what? He's like, what the fuck? Him the light bulb the going light, off, like all him. the yeah. stuff with Tesla. I think is amazing. David Bowie, it's a phenomenal performance from a person that is just a phenomenal human being. Yeah, 
that hasn't been acting for a very long time at the point when this was made. He, mm-hmm. was, he's, he was fucking around with shit in the 80s. Yeah. In the 90s, mostly, he didn't really do anything. He's doing, ma- he's doing music. He was do- he's doing magic. He's doing magic. <laughs> he's doing, magic. Yeah. He's he's doing, doing music. He's yeah. putting magic on records. <laughs> doing that little thing that David Bowie does. Yeah, know, I, music. I hear that he makes uh, sexual yeah, he's a, music he's an actor. He's an actor that also, every now and then, he he dipped his toes in the music field. and you uh, know, He made some music that really favorite, gyrates. Favorite David Bowie album, real quick. Well, do you have one? Fair. Come on. You want me to go first? Sure. Do you have a favorite Diamond David Dogs. Bowie album? Diamond Dogs. Yeah, that's a really good one. <laughs> I, uh, um, uh, I love Black Star. His last album. Black Star is cool. It's it weird. It really is a lot of fun to listen to. Were you to. working at Quinn's the night where the guitarist on Black Star came to play at Jazz yes. Night? That was nuts. That was yeah, insane. That was that's nuts. Um, crazy. I yeah. I, uh, I love Low. Uh-huh. which is like a little bit lesser known one um, in terms of like his big shit but it's like that's why it's such an unfair question all of this shit is it's great so uh, I would probably say um, uh, Honky Dory Honky Dory that's it yeah that's my favorite one I mean I love like Man Who Sold the World and like those songs too but I think Diamond Dogs has like my favorite collection Diamond Dogs there. is not a bad choice and no. that's one of those things where it's like when you're what's your favorite Christopher Nolan movie there's so much to choose from Easier to what choose, but maybe because we are more critical like, in this. Universe. I know, I would say, with the exception of Dark Knight Rises, because of its uh, like because of its uh, its faults as the capper to a trilogy, and sure. Insomnia and Following, because of their faults as, as this is being made by somebody who doesn't know what they're quite, they're what not... they want to do yet. Yeah. Uh, choosing between Memento or The Dark Knight... Or Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, your favorite? Like, there's some top four action going on right there. Oh, for sure. I mean, when I say favorite, it's like whatever kind of... I think when people say what's your favorite thing as opposed to what your best thing, discussion that happens on all of our podcasts, like almost every time we do something. Yeah, well, because there's a heavy difference between favorite and best. Because best is you taking away your emotion and going, what's the thing that, that worked the best overall yeah favorite is you know like who framed roger rabbit is my favorite movie of all time yeah what's the best movie of all time (sighs) it's probably vertigo or citizen kane and it will remain that yeah because those guys are product of their time and no matter what anybody comes up with either nowadays or in the next 30 40 50 years they have more advantages than those guys, than Hitchcock and Wells had back then. It's hard Those guys were able yeah. to do that shit when there was no shit to be done with. We live in a postmodern society. That's just the way it is. Right. Um, almost, and that's a discussion for a whole other thing. Right. Well, and yeah, I'll get back to David, first, yeah. David Bowie absolutely killing it as Tesla. Crushing. He is later in his life where all of this crazy shit has happened. And now Tesla is... It's always been known that Tesla was a recluse in his later years and that he apparently invented and secretly patented uh, dozens of inventions Hmm. and then buried them in an unknown location Okay, and died. What she wanted to do, that's like one of his closing lines in the film, was just like, can I give you one piece of advice to do with machine? And and Andrea's like, yeah, fuck you, what? He's like, Bury it at the deepest part of the Yeah, he puts that in the note. Which, uh, by the way, no, don't do that. Um, 
you take that and you um, you set it up somewhere and you put uh, food in it or organs and you make the island food 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 yeah you literally just cured world hunger they're not about that right there They're, and that's the whole thing like this guy gets this machine that yeah. can do these crazy amazing things and he's like i'm gonna Literal use this magic. for my magic yeah. career for only a hundred performances and then drop the motherfucking out but here's can, uh, we, I, can we talk about the ballsiness of actually having like it's science but like magic in this film because like i think that's like the thing that people don't necessarily buy about the movie and the thing that we love about the movie is this kind of, like, magical surrealism happening. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I love I love the Tesla machine. I love Tesla being a scientist, which equals a wizard, and being able to do this, like, crazy, duplicating, like, magic act that actually exists. And it's kind of the weirdest part of the movie. Well, and that's, it's the whole idea. It. It's like, this it. was built by, like, scientists are the real magicians. magicians. They're yeah. the wizards. They're the ones that can actually take something that's real and turn it into this thing that's never been done before. Yeah. And that's one of the things I want to talk about with Tesla real quick is one of the reasons he went into, he became a recluse, was yeah. he was, and I don't know the specifics of this, and it's, have you ever heard of Tesla's oscillator? Okay, Tesla uh, made a bunch of advancements in electricity, fucking discovered it, all this different stuff, and then he came up with this idea and started going around to different towns, much in the same way in The Prestige, he like kind of owns this town in this way where he's like, I'll give you guys a bunch of electricity, let me use your generators for some weird yeah. shit every now and then for my weird projects. He would go around to people's homes and and go to different places and he would uh and again i'm not a expert in this so in broad strokes he would he would he would check how the ground reacted to certain fluctuations be them electrical uh, motion sound like vibrational anything uh and he pretty much built this thing that he called uh the oscillator which was an earthquake machine. Okay. And he was figuring out how to fucking make earthquakes. And when oh. people found out that's what he was doing, they were like, excuse no. Hold on. Excuse me, no, you're fucking crazy. And he's just like, yeah, I'm the guy that fucking made electricity applicable to everybody. Of course I'm fucking nuts. And they were like, you're not allowed to do things. No, no, you're not allowed to do things anymore. Mm. And they and they stripped him of like all like everything that made him able to be able to act as like an actual scientist and a creator, an innovator. Well, it sounds to me like like a like a like a witch trial almost, or like very much so. And it's he says that in the movie where he's like, I've come up with things that have scared people. So maybe with your little stupid magic show, it'll actually intrigue them and excite them because they won't think it's real. Which is one of the the best fucking lines in the movie is when Hugh Jackman comes back from Colorado. And he, he shows the trick to the guy that's going to set them up in marketing. Mm. And the guy sees it and he goes, I'm sorry, I, forgive me for a second. I've never seen real magic. It's been a long time since I've seen anything that even approaches this. Yeah, You're going to have to dress it up a little bit 
and give them room for doubt. Otherwise, you're going to scare the fuck out of people. And Hugh Jackman even says something to Tesla earlier on about that. He's like, people don't think that what I'm doing is real, so we can do whatever we want. Like, because people would just scream if they saw me sawing a woman in yeah. half on stage. They understand that there's something to it that's not real. They want to be a trick, which is like so perfectly poetic that there is a real horror behind Angier's machine, Angier's trick. Angier's transporting man is there has to be death. There has to be a bird that gets crushed and thrown in the garbage can to have the prestige. And that's just, and like, you know, his, his ending monologue is so great where he talks about like people just want to escape and to be entertained mm-hmm. and but where he, draw, he draws face, the yeah. line between him and Borden, regardless of the fact that there were multiple Bordens. Yes. You know, and it's, and it's a really good mirror to like, there's always been two Bordens and in order for Angiers to even attempt to hit the amount of talent in the trick that Borden has he had to create and kill multiple versions of himself and he decides to kill them by the same way that his wife died mm. that Borden started it's this idea of self-sacrifice and like what self-sacrifice means what to really, the exact, self yes totally yeah, that's, and it's you like so you, you can say like I have sacrificed for for what I'm doing Borden but has there sacrificed are different levels of sacrifice between two Bordens they have sacrificed one full life Angier has sacrificed. It, it, you can't. I'm not saying it in a way that you can measure it because that's the point of the movie. No, and that, this is actually yeah. this is great too because this is another one of the last two things I definitely wanted to bring up. Yeah. Um, the idea at the end, uh, uh, Angier says, "I don't. I never knew which one I would be. Mm-hmm. When I walk in, I don't know if I'm going to be the man in the box, or." The prestige that ends up on the other side. No one cares about the man in the box. And I, I, I take it as they are, they're one and the same. Like each of them is go, and I, and I think it's supposed to be his character doesn't fully understand what he's doing. I think once you sacrifice your own humanity that way, then yes, you are the same. Like he's walking, he's, he's he, walking he's into given that. Up, he's given up individualism. He's given up like. The thing that makes you a human in all realms of reality, Angier has been like, I don't care about what it means to be human. I care about being this trick. And the thing is, to be this trick, you have to sacrifice what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the question at the heart of this movie is like, can you be this spectacle or this um, trick if you are a human being? And the answer is no. Yeah, let's... Just let's just let's just let's not let's not fuck around. Well, because I and here's the thing with with Angiers, this is the thing that uh, grinds my gears on it because I think of it in one way, and I've talked to other people that think of it in a completely different way. Yeah, is that they say like, oh, it's I've I've heard people talk about how it switches, how it's like, oh, he never knew whether he would be the person in the box or the prestige, and sometimes it goes this way, so you try and figure out. Which one is the real board and the uh, the real Angiers? The real yeah. Angiers doesn't exist anymore. And it's, you go to that scene where he tests it out. The first time he builds it himself and goes in and tests it out. Yeah. He stays right where he is. And then right there on the other side of the room 
is... Is another one. And he pulls the gun out and shoots him. Well, he, he sets the gun up before. He sets the gun up and everything. Yeah. And he, he pulls the gun and he but shoots But I think it's him. important that he puts the gun closest... The gun is out of reach of the transported man. Yeah. The gun is closer to the man who stays in the box. Of course. Okay. Because I don't the, think he knew where. I think this is I think this is matter to the film though. No one cares about the man in the box. No one cares about the answer to the trick. Once you give someone the trick, once you show someone the double-sided coin, uh, the trick yeah, is useless. Okay. Yep. Angier is forever the man in the box because he's chasing this trick. Yes. He didn't make the transport right. man. That's really good. Yes. He is the man in the box no matter what. So, but he's always going because when Which he goes when in it's the, same, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's the guy that walks into the elec- the electrical current he is both the prestige mm-hmm. that goes to the other fucking end of the theater yeah. and the person that drops into the box. It's one magic trick. And he and Angier himself does not understand that that's what's happening. And, or he does and he's just kind of doing that whole self deprecating like, yeah, like yeah. thing that he's doing throughout the whole movie where he's like I'm not good enough and I'm always wondering am I going to be the one that drowns or the one that that gets to stand up and that's the whole thing like he he actually he always every time he has to die I, below the bo- below the stage but he is also it's much, the guy it's that much gets like the same where be- before the tesla um inspired or influenced trick um when he has like the drunken double be his double god he's so fucking good. i love that guy but like the, the scene where he raises his arms during the prestige but he's underneath oh Oh, my god but but it's the exact same positioning and shot when he's above everybody Mm -hmm. and he's just like this is what what does he say he says um man's reach exceeds his imagination which is the tesla quote which no it's an exaggeration of the tesla Mm, quote the tesla quote said he's like you always think that man's reach exceeds his grasp right but man's grasp exceeds his imagination is that what he says i think it's something like that he he pretty much just like renounces that or or builds on what tesla was getting at because he's pretty much doing something that's insanely diabolical that tesla himself doesn't wants nothing to do with Mm -hmm. it's like i have found this thing i built it for you by accident didn't realize it would do this you have put in enough money for me to make a thing Mm -hmm. this is the thing Mm mm-hmm Please don't use it, but like at the end of the day, it is business. It is science. The, the scientist is not does not care for the morality of the machine. He, they yeah, want he's to an create. He, yeah. he's like, I made this thing. Your morality is what you're. This putting thing on should it. not exist. But yeah, because I made it for you. Here it is in a box. Which that's another thing, another point that I mm. wanted to make, which is. This movie has one of my top five favorite cuts of all time. Let me get it. Let me hear it. It is... Tesla's building has been uh, attacked. Burned down by the Edisons. Burned down by the Edisons. Hugh Jackman's like, fuck. This guy fucked me. Mm -hmm. He didn't make me fucking anything. I went to approach him and Edison had already fucking burned it down. This is fucking stupid. He goes back to the hotel in Colorado. He's like, I'm fucking out of here. He's talking to the guy, and the guy says, "Like, so sorry to see you go." I didn't think as I had well to bring as you and Mister the... Tesla. Uh, what would you like us to do? Uh, I, and he's like, "I didn't think that I needed to tell Edison's men about the box." And Hugh Jackman, it's like, what? And, and Jerry goes, "What box?" And then it just cuts 
to this room with this kind of like metronome looking box and it's got the it's got that sound to it and there's nothing else in the room but this box and there's something to it that just it it, it just yells at you this is the thing that you have been missing throughout this whole movie. Yeah. This is the thing you didn't know about that's going to answer all the questions. It's like you a, had. it's like an obelisk, like the, the design of this like literal like scientific hellscape of a machine. It's an amazing it's cut. So good. Oh yeah, it, just, it hits me every the time. The empty room. It's a very Nolan esque scene because the build up like, is very is very fluid. The build up mm-hmm. is very like there has been betrayal. Tesla never meant to do anything. Then there's revelation. The Edisons burned everything down. And then there's despair. That's it. I can't fucking do this. I need to leave. And then there's this like friendly hope and reminder like, well, that's why, you know, I still like you because I didn't tell them about this thing. You're like, oh, what? And just as Hugh Jackman says, what box? You go, what box? And it booms, bumps to it. Cuts right to it. And now you're like, this is the rest of the movie is going to be centered around this thing, and it's actually the answer to the first things that we saw. Which is what we call the prestige. The prestige. The prestige. Yep. Yeah. Which also, now that we're moving on from the Tesla conversation, can we just give a nice good shout-out to Hollywood's hardest-working man, mm. Andy Serkis. Now he's the hardest-working he man. He is. He's so good in this movie. Phenomenal too. in everything he's in. But it's, this movie in particular... <sighs> When he talks about Tesla, how much like how much he well, with the scene at dinner, he's and... just like, "I love Colorado Springs, but I really miss New York." It's just mm-hmm. like, eh, "You're so good it's at got acting." The, the smile where he's just like, "Yeah, you know what? I, I was told not to take you anywhere, but let, 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 let me let me show you something." Hey, what's in my hand right now? You are the guy. You are the great. You're the guy that goes, hey, yeah, you, yeah, you know yeah. everything that's in my hands. What's in my hand right now? Your watch. And I'm just like, this is such a good fucking scene. Yeah, and it's a and that when that happens. It's actually foreshadowing the event when he, when, when Angiers is at the top of his game yeah. presenting shit and he was like, his big thing was, oh, I can, I can guess what's in your pocket or yeah. in your hand or whatever like that. Um, Andy Serkis is great in this movie. Andy Serkis reminds me of like a, he's, he's kind of like John C. Riley. Did you ever see King Kong? King, the, the wait. Peter Jackson King Kong. Yeah, yeah, Where he played King Kong, but he also played the chef. Oh, yeah, he played the true. cook, yeah. and the cook character in King Kong is my favorite thing about that movie. It's and yeah. I won't get into any spoilers at all because it's one of the most amazing. I mean, we're we're turns. super hot on the Apes movies, the Apes uh, trilogy in there. Oh, God. He just you know he's the reason that those are going to be that, that those are just the he's way just they are. one he's... more great performance away from joining the group of actors that I know where I'm like I fucking hate those people because they're so <laughs> they're fucking so... good like yeah. Give me a bad performance, will ya? Can you just try? Like, Andy Serkis, I don't think, could try to give a bad performance. My thing is, like, I just want to see him, like... What he's doing for mocap is... He is the proponent of why mocap is what it is in cinema. But I want to see him just be a regular actor for a little bit, too. Because, like, he's he's so... And he does do that, but he does it in such small roles. When he mocaps, he's big characters. When he actually no. acts, he yeah, like he allows himself to kind of fall back because I think at the end of the day, Andy Circus completely understands what it means to be an actor as a part of a portrait that is a film. He understands that sometimes I can be the grand picture, but sometimes you gotta have somebody that's just the color red yeah. in this portrait. 
and that just like fills in the and it, it would never be the same without that color. Mm-hmm. But you don't you're not necessarily paying attention to that part. And that's why I kind of compare him to John C. Riley in a way where I feel like their versatility. Where John C. Riley can be Steve Rule, but he also could be like one of the main characters in the Aviator, and like they or like he could well, be like the comic. Is, like, you're describing character actors. These yeah, are actors yeah. that can that can really hone in on on like a playing yeah. a character that serves the larger story, uh-huh. and that's one of the things. Like we have some actors out there that are absolutely amazing that nobody knows their names, but we also have character actors that have accidentally been put into the spotlight because they look really good. Like, yeah, uh, like Brad Pitt is one of the big and Matthew McConaughey as well. Are like yeah. these guys that have just these kind of natural good looks, handsome guys, yeah, and they're handsome guys, but they can they can, but Brad Pitt more so too, because he's a phenomenal actor, yeah, and but he just disappears into every role that he plays, but because he's so well known, because he's kind of like this Tom Cruise actor, which Tom Cruise is not that Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise who is just a really good, uh, just a really good bravado actor. Yeah. He's just like, he can own a space, a spectacle. He can, he can be like, I am in mission impossible. Look at me. I am in mission impossible too. Look at me. I am in the mummy. Look at me. Well, that's why it's cool to see him in like live, die, repeat. Or, uh, and Edge of Tomorrow because he, fun. he's a much more subdued Tom Cruise is, is most fun in the small roles that he yeah. gets Vanilla Sky Interview with the Vampire oh, what's the other um, Tropic Thunder Tropic Thunder he's, he's amazing he's so good because <laughs> he's a really good yeah. character actor Definitely. that because of his good looks he has been brought into mm-hmm. the, the mainstream but he's also one that has been uh, completely fucked by it and that's all he does now like, Tom Cruise really doesn't do these small roles anymore. Like, him in Collateral, for fuck's sake. Collateral is one of the best movies made in the 21st century. But Tom Cruise ain't going to do no indie movie. Yeah, he does. He can't. Yeah. He can. like, yeah. I mean, I but think these, he's kind of these actors, they're, they're trapped by... I mean, I guess they could, like, you know, like... With a Danny, Danny or Donnie Trejo can just be like... Yeah, I'll do whatever. He, he's, Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo is just like oh, he's okay. got that face. He's like, well, I'm not. No, but he's known for being like, if you, like, like if we, if you and me were like, we want to make an indie movie right now, we could go to his like guy. He could go to his like agent, and he'd be like, all right, we'll send him the script if he likes it. He, he'll be in the movie because he's like one of those actors where they're like down to be in everything. They're down to be like, well, if he it's got a good story, I'll do it. In one of the smallest movies in Hollywood yeah. history, which is El Mariachi. Yeah, uh, Robert Rodriguez. And now Robert Rodriguez is one of the, like the biggest small act uh, directors out there. You know, like Robert Rodriguez has has he does Sin City, you know, Spy Kids, he does all that, but he really hasn't hit it in the way that like Tarantino or buddies of his have. By his own choice, though, I think he'd rather. I be, think by his yeah, own choice, he'd I think that he like, likes what he's. I want to be the best at Grindhouse, which he's is a pushing, small he's genre. Pushing everything yeah. constantly. All right, I think we've gotten too drunk for this now, and we're just kidding. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, do you have, you have anything else to say about Prestige before we uh, bank on out? Uh, this is one of my favorite movies. This is one of my favorite movies in general. It's it's is my favorite uh, Nolan movie, and I'm excited to see what Overdrinkers is going to do next with Inception and Interstellar. I'm really glad that we didn't really spoil too much about talk talk too much about the other two Inception or Interstellar because I we don't think need that to. There's gonna... so much to dissect about this movie, and we did, 
And, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, the only thing that kind of bums me out is I did do so much research on this movie when I wrote the article, and now we're doing the overdrinkers on it, and I just don't know when, when another kind of, like, opportunity to talk critically about this film is going to come up. Um, and I just, I just really love this movie because I think it's just... There's so much that we didn't even talk about yeah. that's still in this movie. I, th- yeah, we don't, I think, we I don't think need we hit all the okay. little things that I really want to talk about. In terms of like what we're trying to do with this podcast, we're good. Yeah. But uh, I just really, I, I have a really love, I have a big love for this movie. I love this movie. Wow. I mean, all right, so that's 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 it for our first episode of uh, Overdrinkers Fucking Around with Christopher Nolan. Is that what we're going <laughs> to uh, that's, that's what it's called. <laughs> Yeah, uh, please remember to uh, follow us on Twitter um, at story underscore screen underscore beacon or you can find us on Instagram at story screen beacon always remember you can find us on the old internet at www.storyscreenbeacon.com uh, tons of articles reviews fun stuff uh, uh, talk to us about things comments send us emails uh, and that's probably about it right covered it yeah talk to us we love to talk to we you we love talking to you guys uh, and uh, the more of you that talk to us uh, the funner it is yeah and uh, we will see you next time for technically Inception but you know we also got the Dark Knight in yeah. there and if in you between. guys well there's another Overdrinkers coming out before all of that I well I mean we also also have a lot of great podcasts oh, before yeah. us. Oh, yeah. And uh, also Batman Begins. Yeah, Beginning that's coming kind soon. of Nolan thing that we got going on. Yeah, let's check that uh, out. So, yeah, we're totally drunk and not going to talk anymore. Check out all those things. Robbie's Prestige article. Yeah. Um, the Dave Matthews wine is free if you go to his house. Why'd you call it Dave Matthews wine? Dreaming the Tree. It is the Dave Matthews wine. It says so. I think it what says so on the back. An exciting collaboration between Dave Matthews and seasoned wine Wait, are you fucking shop. kidding me? Not anymore. I mean, you can watch it. Old SNL is still good. What's old SNL as far as you're concerned? There's a lot of old SNL. (laughs) When Andy Samberg was on it? No. 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 I mean, when, like, Jimmy Fallon was on it. No. No. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell was on it. That's when Jimmy Fallon was on it. Will Ferrell was on it for whatever. You're going to argue with me no matter what. I'm going to argue with you no matter what. You're absolutely (laughs) fucking right. What, 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 when was SNL the best? When Tim Meadows was on it for 25 years? Ah, okay.